You know, a number of years ago, goodness, it's been several years ago, I got my first part-time job. I was 15 years old. And uh, I worked at a snow cone shack in a little parking lot. And um, so that summer, you know, my mom said it was time to stop playing baseball and get a job. So I did that. And then uh, my second job, I actually worked as a, a customer courtesy at a, a grocery store called Bob and Carl's. It was a chain up north. Some of y'all may have heard of it. And um, I enjoyed the work. Um, it was my first kind of organized job working with other people. And I was pretty, I took a lot of initiative, so I'd go to different departments. Uh, there was a guy named Burl in the freezer section that I helped. And so they got, to be, they got used to me kind of roaming around the store and doing different things. Well, um, one day I saw one of my colleagues, and you know, I don't know if we have Brock's candy down here, but there was a Brock's candy display with kind of loose candy that you could pull out and put in a bag. And then you'd bag it up, and then they'd weigh it, and you'd take it home. Well, uh, this colleague of mine, I saw him snatch a couple of pieces of candy and took them off into the stock room, and, and then he had a little treat. And so I thought that was kind of neat. That I didn't know that, that that was something that you could do. Um, but unfortunately, unlike this colleague of mine, he, he realized that you're supposed to do that in moderation. <laughs> I didn't get the memo, and uh, eventually I did get caught red-handed, stealing. And um, so I had to go home and face the music. You know, I had to, had to you know, share with my parents what had gone on. So I was really nervous about that. I was so embarrassed that I had to kind of tell my dad that I had been stealing, you know? Because when you're, when you're just taking little things, when you're making little decisions that don't seem all that bad, like it's, it's just a little white line, it's just a, one mistake, but then it kind of compounds, and then you get caught, and then you have to face the music. So I was a little bit concerned how my dad was going to respond. And, you know, he responded like a dad would. He was very caring. Um, he was very gracious. But he also told me the truth. Now, we've all had times in our lives where we got caught, right? You know, where you, you made a series of ill-advised choices, and then all of a sudden, you're in way over your head, and you never expected that that would lead to this. And so when, when you encounter those kind of situations and you're caught red-handed, you have somebody who could throw the book at you, but they don't. And we're so appreciative and we're so grateful for their leniency in that moment, aren't we? Oh, I'm so glad that you forgave me, that you let me go, that, that you gave me a pass. But, you know, it is in these times that the lenient can become a gracious enabler. If all they do is accept us as we are, they're unwittingly sending the message that it's okay to sin as long as we manage it. Right? But even if it becomes unmanageable, the grace will be there to greet us. But we all know instinctively that graceless truth is harmful. But it can be easy to miss that truthless grace can be equally as harmful. So we're going to delve into this hairy topic this morning. Today we're going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had with a sinner who was caught in the act. They were caught red-handed. And with a crowd gathered, Jesus had to make a choice. Was he going to respond with grace? Or was he going to respond with truth? Or was he going to respond with some combination of both? And this is not just Jesus and this person. There's a crowd gathered. Jesus' enemies are present. They're looking for a reason to accuse him. So was he going to side with grace or truth? Turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be covering verses 2 through 11 this morning. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Beginning in verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down 
to teach them. So Jesus is teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles. This was shortly after many had deserted him in John chapter 6. In fact, at this time, many people were divided in their opinion about Jesus. Have you ever had a divided heart when considering Jesus? You know, there was a time in my life when I, I suspected that the one who had forgiven me was judging me. You know, I've, I've mentioned this to you before. There was a time when I felt like Jesus forgave me. Um, he was like a coach. He had agreed to let me play on the team. He had even agreed to let me get on the field, but he always wished that he hadn't. And so I felt guilty that my Savior somehow found me as unacceptable as I found myself. So how do you feel about Jesus in your life? Do you, does the thought of him make you nervous? Or do you feel comforted? You know, Scripture says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Well, what does that mean? Huh? You ever wonder what that looks like? You know, when you think about Jesus, you know that he's all-powerful, that he's perfect. But we also see Jesus as the shepherd who's comforting the lamb. So which is it? Is it grace or is it truth? Well, we're about to find out. Verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. So she was caught in adultery in the act. And they made her stand before the group. You know, she was exposed. Her sin was exposed. And I know you can remember times in your life like I can remember times in mine when I was caught. And there was no excuse and there was no hiding. My sin was exposed. You know, maybe this had started off as an error in judgment for this woman. She knew he was off limits. But what had started off as a single bad choice to cast a lingering look, engage in a deeper conversation, or respond to an ill-advised invitation had led her to this point. You know, she had felt special. She had felt important. But where was he now? He was standing in the back of the crowd. Looking embarrassed, but clothed. She had no idea that that would lead to this. But in this moment, she knew now with painful clarity that her series of bad choices, even though they might have blurred the lines, and let's be honest, that's what happens, right? We make a series of bad choices, and the lines get blurred. And what's wrong doesn't seem so wrong. But that would not take away or lessen the consequences in this situation. Verses 4 and 5. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And so they say the law commands Jesus. Now what do you say? And they are right. You know, according to the law, such a woman is condemned to die. And so now is the time for truth to fall like a hammer and for justice to be done. But in their haste to rush to judgment, these leaders have overlooked one important point. In the same law that they are using as their basis to condemn this woman is the same law they have failed to keep. John chapter 7 verse 19 says, Jesus says to them, Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law. So what we learn here is that though the law exposes our sin, it does not address it. 
I mean, it peels it back. When you're, when you're caught red-handed and there's no excuse and there's nowhere to hide, it exposes where you're at. But it doesn't address it. It doesn't fix it. It just kind of points it out. And so we also learn that truth without grace leaves us no hope. It leaves us sitting in the dirt, ashamed. But you know, if they had shined the truth as brightly on their own sin as they shined on her sin, their sin would have been exposed as well. Verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. They didn't care about this woman. This was a ploy. They were using it as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And this is where we just love Jesus. I mean, they're baiting him. They're trying to draw him in. They're trying to get the upper hand, and Jesus refuses to play. He just bends down and starts writing in the sand. What is he doing? What is he writing? You know, there's been a lot of speculation about this verse. Some say that Jesus was writing out the sins of the would-be executioners, just kind of scrawling them out in the sand so that they could see what was going on. Then verses 7 and 8. When they kept on questioning, they're pushing, they say, they, they came with an agenda. They're trying to catch Jesus saying the wrong thing, taking the wrong side. And they're pushing. He straightened up and said to them, and this is the one that you, this is the verse you're probably very familiar with. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote. So Jesus, once again, he turns the tables on the self-righteous. And they were so right, right, huh? The law was so clear. But what they really wanted was to be justified in continuing to stand on truth while offering no grace. That's what they wanted. They wanted justification to continue that. But as we've already learned, the result of this type of application of truth leaves no hope. You know, recently I showed Brian McCleary one of my favorite videos. There's an old Jesus movie, and uh, they dubbed over some of the lines. So you get to the end of the movie, and Jesus is kind of picking apart the disciples and saying, you did this and you did that. And so he comes before this huge crowd, and he says, I'm Jesus. I came down from heaven. I did many miracles. I've done all of this so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. And so that what they're saying tongue-in-cheek, is something the message that many of our people in our culture get about Jesus. Is that God's message to us is that you fall way short of the standard. And that there's no hope. And if that's our message, who's going to want to hear that? Where's, where's the hope in that message? But truth without grace is easy. huh? It's easy to give truth without grace when you're right. Or at least you think you are. And it gives us the freedom to express anger without guilt. To deal out judgment without guilt. And I was hoping he'd be here this morning. But a good judge will tell you. A good judge will tell you that when they cease to feel compassion. It's time to hang up the rope. In other words, when you lose the ability to empathize. You will become right in your own eyes. This is a dangerous place to be. And this is where these religious leaders were. Huh? They had all the answers. They had it all figured out. And they knew what was going on. And so Jesus says, he who is without sin, 
he who is without sin. Recently, we encountered an expert in the law who wanted to draw clear boundaries around who was his neighbor. This time, we encounter people who are goading Jesus to pronounce what is already obvious to everyone present. This brazen sinner has forfeited her value. Both to God and to humanity, she no longer deserves to live. And their cold, callous hearts call for unmitigated justice. Let's make an example of someone who dares to sin and gets caught. And as a woman, they're not looking for justice. They've displayed that their hearts are corrupt. They're not after justice. They're looking for justification. Verse 9. And this is the response that we love. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So they all go away. The older ones first. Jesus has called their bluff. He does not question the lawfulness of their judgment, but he questions their qualifications to execute judgment. What business do lawbreakers have executing judgment? So he calls their bluff. Then verse 10. Finally, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And isn't this the encounter that we've all had with Jesus at some point? Or we've come to him broken. We've come to him sinful. We've come to him recognizing that we fall way short of the standard. And we're waiting for his response. And he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. Kind of incredulous. I mean, think of the day that she's had. And she, feel, and she feels like there's no hope. And now there's this religious leader. And he's going to drop the hammer. And it's over for me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and lead your life. So he says, neither do I condemn you. If these guys, when I've called their bluff, are not willing to cast the first stone, then neither do I choose to condemn you. So Jesus met her at her lowest moment, but chose not to condemn her. And if we're honest, we resonate with this, because this is what we say to people when they mess up. Huh? We say, you fell short. That's a fact. But I don't condemn you. Because I fall short. And he doesn't condemn me. But this is where it gets interesting. What if Jesus had stopped here with, neither do I condemn you? What if he had stopped here? What would be the message for you and me today? It would be the same message that is popular in our culture today. Put down your stones, man. Who are you to judge? Right? Isn't that the message in our culture today? What if Jesus had stopped there? But if you see your child struggling with poor choices that lead to poor habits, that lead to unhappy endings, what are you going to do? You're going to say, I don't condemn you. I love you. Good luck. Is that how you're going to respond? Or think of it this way. If your children have hurt themselves, what's the first thing we ask them to do? What's the first thing? Show me. Show me. Right. Show me. Show me. Show me where it hurts. Show me, show me where you've hurt yourself. But if we love them, we don't stop there. We're going to need to treat it. Right? You remember when your child, or maybe when you've had that boo-boo, and, and it hurts, 
and they show it to you and you kiss it, but then you say, we're going to have to treat it. We're going to have to use that antiseptic. And then they recoil, right? This is when they recoil. They say, leave me alone. Accept me as I am. This is my life. And they recoil and they don't want your input. But we know instinctively that grace without truth, it just conceals. It just covers it up. It doesn't address it. It conceals the seriousness of our sin. You know, maybe this woman had some really gracious people in her life, and they said, we just want you to be happy. We just want you to be happy. But nobody would tell her the truth about the consequences that were coming as a result of this relationship. So Jesus doesn't stop with, neither do I condemn you. He moves one step further, and he says, go and sin no more. And this is the big idea for this morning, is that Jesus didn't lower the standard. Not one bit. Jesus never lowered God's standard. He never took away from God's law. But he refused to condemn those who fell short of it. John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. Because he says, if I did, man, my judgment would be just. But I came in the world to save the world. So Jesus didn't lower the standard, but he refused to condemn those who fell short of it. You know, calling something what it's not doesn't change what it is. I have a friend, and he said when, the, when his children were young, they had a wolf pup. And they named it Wolfie. Very original. So they raised Wolfie like a puppy. But as Wolfie got older, he got more aggressive. And so every now and then they'd have neighbors, mailmen, postmen come, and they would end up streaking across the lawn, hopping in their cars and putting the pedal to the metal. Because Wolfie was not a dog. Wolfie was not a dog. And in the same way, calling sin a mistake doesn't do it justice. I mean, it has serious consequences. And if we just address it with grace and try to apply grace and say it's okay, no problem, everything's going to be all right. Calling something what it's not doesn't change what it is. Just like Wolfie was not dog. So out of love and on principle, Jesus exhorted her to go and sin no more. He says, don't violate your conscience, you'll hurt yourself. Her wound was revealed to him. And rather than just covering it up with grace and letting it continue to worsen, he chose to inject some truth in order to help begin to make it better. You know, I've got a friend, um, and he's got a pal of his who's kind of gone off the deep end, left his family, wanted to follow his heart, felt like God had put somebody else into his life. And my friend wasn't sure how to handle that. You know, is, is it grace? Is it truth? Is it both? And what complicated things was they have a mutual friend who just said, it's okay, man. I think God wants you to be happy. But my friend chose to try his best to apply both grace and truth. And so he's continued to, the relationship. But he said it's difficult when they're together. Because they're not walking the same path. They're not sharing the same values. And he's not willing to say to his friend, it's okay. You know, just, just walk away. No, no big deal. God, God just wants you to be happy. He's not willing to do that. So Jesus enters into this complicated situation that many of us have faced or will face. And if my friend had only shared grace, it would have only concealed the sin and the guilt that are likely eating away at this man. 
And this is the challenge that we face. You know, giving only truth only exposes the wound and it makes us feel superior. But giving only grace just makes us and them feel better. But it doesn't actually help us get better. But being able to take steps toward healing requires generous doses of both grace and truth. And this is why we both love and respect Jesus. We love him because he doesn't condemn us. But we respect him because he doesn't lower the standard. God gives us his laws as a way to live well and to have the kind of life that we want. So if Jesus lowered the standard, how is that helping? But he doesn't condemn us when we fall short and continue to fall short. Praise God. Amen. So what about you? Which is your tendency? Are you the gracious enabler? It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You'll be fine. Everything's fine. <coughs> Are you the gracious enabler? Or are you the taught truth teller? I call them like I see them. I tell it like it is. If you've come to me for sympathy, you've come to the wrong place. But what the world needs is for you and I to be a gracious truth teller. Not, it's okay, it's okay, everything's okay, but it's going to be. Not, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, but you matter enough for me to tell you the truth. Not, everything's fine, but I want to help you get better. And so what Jesus is prescribing for us today is to be gracious truth-tellers. What if we had more gracious truth-tellers in our world? People who can encounter exposed wounds and sin. And, and this, it, this gets scary when you get, when somebody it reveals or, you know, they're not, they're not choosing to reveal it, but you see where they're at and their struggles and they're not hiding it from you. It's, it's kind of scary. But people who can encounter exposed wounds and sin choose not to condemn because they themselves have been forgiven and courageously and compassionately seek to inject truth in order to promote hope. Because it's going to take grace. It's going to take I love you, I accept you, I embrace you. But we're going to need to talk about this. You're going to need to peel that back. We're going to take a look at this. We're going to need to take a look at how this is affecting you, how this is affecting your family, how this is affecting the future that you desire and the present that you're living in. Our world today needs generous doses of both grace and truth order to be healed. God, we're so grateful for who you are and for your love for us. And we're so grateful that we have such a perfect example in the Lord Jesus of someone who was full of grace and truth. Someone who was full of acceptance and generosity and, and, and embracing people right where they were at. But also he was a truth teller and he didn't lower the standard. He didn't lower it one bit. And I'm so grateful, God. If I live living in a world with no standards, we know what that's like. Where everything's gray. Where nothing's black and white. Where it's difficult to make decisions and make the choices that have the consequences that we want. So we're so grateful, God, that you've given us the scriptures. That you've given us objective standards of truth to live by. And we're equally grateful, God, 
that in this example that we've seen this morning, we serve a risen Savior who doesn't lower the standard, but who also declines to condemn those who fall short. And it gives us hope, and it gives us a future. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray.